0: Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Uh, boys, we're going to talk some Timmy K today. Um, we we have not done that on this program um, since Tim Keller passed a few weeks ago. Uh, there, there was a flurry of activity, and the Make It About Me Olympics happened, and we didn't participate in any of that. But um, we've all enjoyed his work, loved his work over the years, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, boys, I'm doing this under a little bit of adversity. I've got an AC unit out in the house. Um, the temperature outside is roughly like pit of hell level. So, if I get any kind of call, text, email from a contractor, uh, I'm going to do it. So, if I disappear uh, mid show, you guys are going to have to just carry it for me. And I, I know you're capable. I know you're up to the task. Um, so just a little, little FYI on that. Um, boys, let's take a break. Let's pay some bills. Not many. Um, we're not paying a lot of bills to be clear. But uh, we'll take a little break. On the other side of it, we'll talk some Timmy K.
1: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
2: Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life.
0: All right boys, we're back um I want I want to start with a just kind of baseline question. When did you become aware of Tim Keller and how did he drift through your your transom? like when was it what was the book or the sermon or the the, the way of becoming acquainted with the work of Tim Keller?
1: Pipe we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the year. I'm actually looking it up right now. I've trying to figure out when The Reason for God came out. You know, his first cuz yeah. that was it wasn't his first book, but it was his first, it was the one that kind of blew up, put him on the map in terms of sort of evangelical fame. And I feel like it was early 2000s, I feel like. You know, 2006, yeah. 7, somewhere around there. I think it was 08 actually. Probably was it 08? Like, okay. If I'm Yeah, I mean it. That uh let's see here. 2009. So yeah, you were closer than I was. So yeah, and, and so I, I became aware of him with the rise of that book, but with kind of a general disinterest yeah. because it was an apologetics book and because uh, it, I don't know, it just it was kind of a scene that I wasn't interested in in terms of sort of winning debates about blah, blah, blah. I also lived yeah. in Wheaton. Which means there weren't any debates about the existence of God, like it's, yeah. it's the most bible belty <laughs> place in the north <laughs> and yeah. so I, I, the 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 New York reality that he was sort of speaking into and like being on the front end of post christian hadn't registered for me, yeah so that's when I became aware of him, and I you know I wasn't snide towards him, I was just like, oh, he's doing a thing, it kind of felt like missionary work. I was like, oh, you're doing a sure. cool thing elsewhere, and it wasn't until that the um what was it? Prodigal God and Counterfeit Gods came out. Yeah. And it was really, it was Counterfeit Gods was the first one that I encountered of his. And I want to say that was 2011, 2012. Yeah. That, uh, that really, it, I began to resonate with him as sort of like, uh, a cultural pastor more than yeah. a cultural apologist.
0: Yeah. He, he occupied an interesting space in like the, the, first wave of, you know, reformed them getting popular. You know, you had the, you had kind of the older guys, um, your dad, Sproly, um, you know, J.I. Packer, some of those guys. Um, and then you had the young guys, like the the Kevin DeYoung crowd. Um, Keller, even though he is an older guy, he kind of lived in the middle for for me. You know, he wasn't frisky like, Kdy and those guys and and you know he he wasn't writing to me like hard tough to read theological work I don't know there there was a heart to it and I think he occupied for me an interesting space of oh you can love this theology you can not be squishy about stuff he wasn't shooting for some sort of beige cultural middle mm-hmm. but 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 there was a there was like pathos to it and yeah it really resonated with me baby what about you what like when and how did the tim keller thing happen for you
2: yeah so for me it was i remember it was like mid 2000s and i had i was at the church i was at and um had a bunch of uh you know seminary dudes future church plant dudes and yeah. uh i remember one guy in particular that i'd become friends with he just would not stop talking about this guy named tim keller mm-hmm. And I, I mean i'd never heard the name before and you know, I mean, even back then, you know, going on 20 years ago, it, you know, you didn't, it wasn't as easy just to say, oh, let me go check him out. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. things were still in process with media and all that. And, uh, yeah. but I remember just the guy would never shut up about him. I, it was pre TGC and big conference circuit. So I wasn't seeing him. And then, um, I remember, I think it was like you, Big T. I remember the first, it wasn't until probably five, six, seven years later when I w- I did a, um, yeah, I got counterfeit gods. Yeah, and, um, I just remember reading That's that. A great God. one. Oh yeah, and I remember you know again you you know as your theology is always developing. I had just mm-hmm. never read anything like that. Yeah. And the way that he wrote, you know, I'd never read anybody write that way. I had already read Sproul and all those guys, mm-hmm. and um, so I was you know I was well into you know sort of that that whole particular you know theological corner. And uh, but yes, but uh, TK man, he just. Um, I just, I couldn't get over like the profound things that he was saying in such a simple way. And it made me think, it just changed my sort of my way of thinking about, about certain things. And, um, and that was it. You know, I wanted to grab everything. Well, yeah, he hadn't written a lot of stuff by at that point, but it was just super interested.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I mean, what a unique gifting and what a unique like moment for him to use it in, in that. Eh. There there are certain people that are that are just never gonna pick up I don't know, all four hundred pages of a John Piper book or whatever. Like that's gonna feel daunting. But I I think I think the way that Keller's books looked, the way they felt, you know, they they didn't weigh fourteen pounds, you know, they were they were small books, they were easy to read, and yet to your point, baby, like truly profound. I think the first one I read was Prodigal God. And, yeah, just absolutely loved it, you know, absolutely loved it, absolutely yeah. resonated with it. Um, I think I what, grabbed Counterfeit God shortly thereafter and and was kind of off and running with with Timmy K.
1: What what strikes me about what both of you guys said was, you know, you're talking about sort of the rise of, <clears throat> you know, reforming, because that was sort of like pinnacle, uh, apex, young, restless, reformed, like, takeoff, you know, early yeah, 2000s, yeah. mid 2000s. It's when all of that stuff was just was just exploding in terms of church movements and marketplace and books and all this stuff. And like Tim wasn't part of it at all. Yeah. Which is part of the reason I, I was confused by him because (laughs) it took me a long time to realize he was Presbyterian. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, because I, you know, at the time I was working at crossway books and I was very much in the reformed world and like Presbyterians wear that stuff like a Jersey Oh yeah, and and reformed people. Like, it was like it, it, they're like with w- it. William Wallace's army. They got like blue face paint on, <laughs> screaming, you know, <laughs> "I am reformed," and uh, and he didn't. Like you read his stuff, yeah. and you are like, none of this conflicts with reformeddom. He very yeah. clearly believes deeply in the sovereignty of God. Yeah, and he's not beating me over the head with any of it. Yeah, and I don't know yeah. what to make of that because I am so used to being beaten over the head that. Uh, I, 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 it's part of the reason I loved him so much because I read, I, I resonated more with his so, sort of C.S. Lewis esque mm-hmm. thought processes. You know, mm-hmm. just the way that he laid out arguments so clearly, like uh, because, like you said, Ronnie, just sort of profound things in such a clear, simple way. And, it, and I was like, oh, he, he doesn't need to shove reformdom in anybody's face. He can just say these deep, clear things in a way that you can go, oh, oh, wow, I had never thought of it like that.
2: Well, it was like, it was like the first, it was weird because it it was like when you, okay, so when you listen to, when you listen to Sproul, like that guy did not like or teach or teach anything without talking about, you know, the reformers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, to be honest, I, I don't know that I, I, it's like, you've never heard Keller, like go there. Like he, like he talked a lot about historical things and thinkers, philosophers, Mm -hmm. but he never, he never just, you know, he never was harping on. You know, reform theology as reform theology. It was like, right. yeah, okay, you know, uh, you know, tulips, great. I, I, I buy all into that, but I'm just, that's just not what I'm going to be talking about. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah.
0: No, he did. And, and Pipe, speak to this. So you were, you were with Crossway as Keller was starting to pop. <sighs> Another reason I was like kind of drawn to him was that he didn't seem to market like, he didn't do any self-promoting that I knew of, and yet his books were really successful. Like, how how did that happen? <laughs> For lack of a more eloquent question, like how did how did he happen as a successful author? Was it just like he writes great books? Word gets out. You know, this is back when pastors were blogging. You know, are they are they all blogging about mm-hmm. it, telling each other about it? Like, how how did the marketing side of Tim Keller work?
1: man i i don't know the in, i don't know the insides of how they kind of did it as a ministry. I think at that mm-hmm. point their church the church their church was you know it was, it was really well established, but I don't think they were yeah. sort of like a communications you know superpower mm-hmm. i i think I think a ton of it had to do with being in new york um, yeah. Yeah. the so because almost every other big name Christian author publisher at the time was coming out of kind of a Christian haven. Yeah. You know, it was so, so just prior to this, you know, had been sort of the purpose driven life era. That was Rick Warren. Yeah. That's coming out of Saddleback. Well, that's in Orange County and Orange County is in a very liberal state, but it is a super conservative place, like sort of yeah. mega churches everywhere, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. books coming out of Wheaton, books coming out of Colorado Springs, books coming out of Grand Rapids, these like yeah. Christian havens bastions. And mm-hmm. and here comes Tim Keller, who is a successful, faithful preacher of the gospel in a city that is as, as far advanced as any American city away from sort of Christian roots. And he published with, um, I think it was with Penguin at the yeah. time. And he's probably still with Penguin, but they've been merged and bought by 11 other publishing companies since or something. And yeah. uh, and so there was just a, like, his books went to Barnes & Noble, not to family Christian stores, not to LifeWay stores first. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an apologetics thing. And I remember, I remember the shift where, so he, he was known as this apologetics guy, you know, like he's, he's writing in the era of like Christopher Hitchens and was it Sam, um, it Sam Harris? Uh, whatever, the, the, the new atheist guys.
0: Yeah. And, yeah.
1: uh, you know, Daniel Dennett, those guys. So he's writing in response to that. And so this is a cultural phenomenon. And so when he comes out with Prodigal God, Counterfeit gods, these more sort of pastoral books, there was skepticism about that. Because like yeah. it, it kind of in the Christian world, but those then worked because you were two or three years into the gospel coalition having taken off. Cause I think that launched twenty two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah. And so those came out yeah. two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve and and so now there was a core of this, and, and Keller was part of the founding of that. He and DA Carson are like godfathers of the gospel coalition. Yeah. So he he had he had sort of earned his credentials in this broader reformed world. Uh and so I I think a lot of it had to do with that. Um but yeah, when he started, it was weird because you're like, this guy's a faithful pastor in a city that none of us understand, and he's putting out books in a way that none of us are doing. Yeah and it and it's working way better than anything we're doing, yeah dude. He was uh he's kind of like the
0: kid that comes in freshman year and goes right to the varsity, and he's like walking past your locker room to the to, like the big boy locker room, and it's like yeah i'm a little little better than you guys, publishing with penguin, <laughs> you know a little little bit of a flex like have have fun with your you know moody moody book or your crossway book or whatever but uh now that that was super cool, uh boys, let's take a break. And on the other side, I got another question for you. All right, we're back. Uh, here's my question, baby. Did Timmy K like, start New York for Christians? Like, what, <laughs> did, Or was the New York thing like already a thing, and, and he was just a part of it,
2: or did he start it? I mean, dude, that is such a great question. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't have any hard data on any of this, yeah. but... I don't know that it's any accident that, you know, I mean, just even in terms of church planting, I think, you know, it was one thing to know that, you know, that he was putting out books that, that people were kind of just gobbling up, you know, prodigal God, reason for God, um, counterfeit gods and a little bit of a theme with the title there now that I'm saying those titles. yeah. Um, But I think it was when you found out that he was a church planner and that you got a sense of his story coming in there in his mid forties in 1989, Mm -hmm. You know coming from a small town church to plant in the city and so as as a 29 nine and all of these church planting movements were gaining so much steam around that time i it, it's impossible to think that i mean obviously he started I, I mean i don't know that he started it but he but he definitely popularized this thought that says that said we got to plant in the cities yeah. and so yeah so the the big movement towards city planting and then you know he put out center church eventually and so I mean it it would be i think i think you would have to say that he you know spearheaded that movement you know um because all of you know all of these young church planners were so influenced by by him and you know that he like he basically established a dream he basically said hey look you can do this and then there's just you know sort of the um the romance and the sexiness that kind of comes in with going to these old cities and you know, with with you know, again, you know, because it's a two nine and some of these other movements, you know, they added the bravado to it. But yeah. um, but you know, Keller had just kind of gone in, um, you know, uh, you know, not probably not purpose purposefully starting a movement, but and en- ending up starting a movement, you know, with this. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I think it. I mean, there's no way that he didn't. He has not influenced just a whole generation of uh, millennials and Gen X's to like go to the city. And he made it appealing for sure. I mean, I think when you think of, I mean, I know, I, I know I'm thinking of a few guys right now that went to uh, New York City, and it had to have been influenced by Keller because there's there's just a, ro- there's a romance to it for sure. You know what I'm saying?
0: Uh, yeah, I do. And one thing I like about him is that he was the least insufferable guy about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of all that's... the guys that have gone to New York to do that, he was like, the, the the most well, pleasant
1: and humble one it seems like he's he's he wrote about you know he started writing about urban church planting after having done it for like 17 years cuz Redeemer yeah. was planted i think in like 89 yeah. and yeah. and he didn't want to plant in New York like yeah. it was one of those like god had to crowbar him there away from a church in kind of small town virginia where he was yeah. thriving and uh yeah. and and it became very clear that god wanted him there and so it he he's like the guy who has been married for 40 years before he writes a marriage book instead of the guy who's been married for seven years before he writes the marriage (laughs) book. Um, Dude, that's that's such a great point in our business.
0: And it's a great argument for like, yeah, maybe do something for more than five minutes before you declare yourself, you know, the, the authority on it. And gosh,
1: uh, that's appealing. It's easy to like that, you know? Well, and, and he he also I mean he very intentionally like when he put out Center Church for example which again was like in the twenty teens maybe twenty fourteen something like that he he basically laid out a strategy that said if you reach the cities you reach the world because they're mm-hmm. cultural hubs which you know probably statistically that's that's largely true I mean I remember going to so yeah. many conferences when I worked in publishing where that was the thing where it's like. By the year 2025, 80% of the world's population is gonna live in cities, yada yada yada. Yeah, same same statistics repeated everywhere. And Keller was was part of that. What he what he did though was create a version. I mean, I don't think he did this on purpose. A version of church planting that is like call it like yuppie church planting. Yeah. Because because the people who have followed him into the city are like, they're going to like Greenpoint, Brooklyn. They're not they're not going to like the Bronx. Right. You know? And right. but the thing is when Keller moved into New York, in the eighties, New York sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like in the seventies and eighties, it was an awful city. And That's the true. city changed over time. So by the time his his ministry was really well-known. It had a glossy sheen on it, but that's because yeah. he had like served through the the worst years of New York. Well, maybe not the worst, but some very yeah. low years of New York. And uh, and now it's, you know, it, it, and it has a different shine to it. Oh, 100%.
0: I got a quick digression just by way of a question for both of you. Do you guys like New York? Like, do you like going there? Um, what's your What's your relationship with it? I I hate it for the first 24 hours and then I love it, but it it takes me like 24 hours to get like my my New York legs underneath me, um and and then I start to really enjoy it. What what's both of your relationships with that city, baby? You can go first.
2: Oh man, I haven't spent I haven't spent a ton. Of, I spent more time in upstate New York to be honest than New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love. They're, upstate so,
1: they're New York. so similar. They're they're exactly yeah, they're, the same.
2: They're exactly the same. But I love. I actually love some of the Rust Belty, upstate New York, Buffalo-y kind of town. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I like some. I like you know, I like some of those towns. There's something about them that I've enjoyed over the years, and I've spent some time there. I've I've not spent a lot of just like hardcore time in New York City, but um, yeah. yeah, you know what? I, it's a little um, it's a little chaotic for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little it's a little busy. It's a little crowded. Um, I, I can say the times that I've spent in the city, I, I, it's not been the most enjoyable thing for me. And it's probably yeah. because I'm just, I'm not that, I'm not that curious. I'm not that fascinated uh-huh. by it. And again, that's not, uh-huh. that's, I don't mean that in a snobby way. It's just, I, for yeah. whatever reason, that's, that's just, it just doesn't pique my interest the way it does for a lot of people. Sure. And, um, so if, yeah, so I'm not, I wouldn't be particularly like drawn to going to visit there for, you know, an extended period of time. I, so yeah, I don't know too much chaos too much noise i'm sounding like the you know the the converted small town dude that i am now but that's yeah
0: yeah no
1: i get it i totally get it pipe what about you uh i love it i love i love new york (laughs) so much and not from like a and not from like a um you know i watched sex in the city so now i want to go like do that you know or like friends or whatever just I love the energy of cities and that's true like I've you know I've been to like Sao Paulo Brazil and Kampala Uganda and you know various cities around the world and I love them all because cities are just I kind of I feel like I kind of roll in there and it there's just a there's an energy there's a fun there's You know, Ronnie said he's, you know, kind of not that curious about it. I feel like I'm just like, oh, I want to, I want to figure out everything about this city, but I want to figure it out from the perspective of like, how did the city come to be? Like, I've read, I've read a decent amount on like the history of New York and how did, how was the, like, how was it formed? How did it go from being New Amsterdam to New York and all this kind of stuff? So, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of a nerd slash junkie and also love just the, the food, the people, the energy—like I like Times Square as much as I like Battery Park, as much as I like Brooklyn, as much as I like sure. Yankee Stadium. So, um, yeah. you know, I I love it. What's your favorite American city, pipe? <sighs> uh, Chicago. I mean, yeah, mine too. I've I've been to I think most of the major American cities. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Chicago holds it down as as the absolute best, especially if you go between like late May and end of October. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not as awesome in the winter, but yeah, I love Chicago. Dude. Speaking of Chicago, have
0: you watched, um, the show called the bear on Hulu or FX? I have not.
2: Dude. I haven't seen it yet. My, my, do- I was just in Chicago a couple of days ago. My, my daughter oh, yeah. was telling me about it though. And they were like raving about it.
0: Dude, the bear is phenomenal. Uh, it is the single most Chicago thing about Chicago that I've ever watched. Um, oh wow. It just it just nails it, dude. It nails it. It's um kind of romantic about Chicago without being saccharine. It's romantic about food. The character work is exquisite. I love it. And uh yeah, as a Chicago guy, I think I think it'll resonate with you. So you should uh you should dial it up and then and then let me know what you think about it. Uh um, oh, yes, absolutely. This looks amazing. I'm just I just googled it. Yeah, kid the kid um uh, his brother dies, and he inherits like a Italian beef Chicago you know, <laughs> storefront and yes. and has to run it and The kid is uh, like he's like a a michelin rated chef like he's he's one of the best like young chefs in the world, and he quits that to come like you know slink sandwiches in this this beef place it's amazing um boys let 's take a break we'll come back we 'll hit one more Keller thing. All right, boys, back off that third ad break. Um, Last question. If you could ask Keller one thing, what would it be? So as you think about his his career as a pastor, as an author, just as a kind of man about church and reformed them, like what would you ask Keller if you had one shot at it? Um, Baby, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, I I think I, well I just read his I just read his bio or not it wasn't really it was sort it was a sort of bio that Colin Hansen yeah. wrote but yeah. um which which I thought was good but um I'm kind of I was I, I'm kind of wanting an actual bio I would love hmm. for somebody to now to what do made that it not now. an actual bio I thought that's well what it was, was you no know, it was about the mm-hmm. things that kind of formed him spiritually through the years okay. so Colin it uh, Colin took like a different approach to it, it yeah. I mean it definitely had bio stuff in it for sure. sure sure. But, um, it wasn't a hard bio, but no, I think, I think I would ask him, um, if I could sit down and have a, have a cup of coffee with Keller, coffee with Keller. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: I think I would just say, Hey, what was, um, like, what was, what are, you know, tell me two things that were super hard for you, you know, that, that nobody knew about, um, mm. whether it's related to pastoring marriage, you know, being a dad yeah. Yeah. and, um, Things that people would have never known about you because they were just private, or you just, you know, it just never came up for you. You didn't write about it. Yeah. And tell me how you, tell me how you worked through that, you know, between you and the Lord. And because I have a feeling like it would be something that has been hard for me and I would love to hear his take on it. What was hard for you? I think is what I'd ask. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, he was kind of fascinatingly private about certain things, you know, like he never, platformed his family for example like i don't know what his wife looks like i don't know what his kids look like like there there was never any sense of i think coming into social media so late in the game uh helped him in that regard Um, yeah i think so he was uh, yeah yeah. but as a result there's a lot we don't know about which is fine like that's how it used to be for everybody um yeah those are good pipe what
1: would you ask him Man, that's a. Oof. It that's a hard question because I feel like the, the public stuff he was really open about. You know, yeah. how you know, like the, one of the first questions that came to mind was, you know, how how do you maintain kind of cultural relevance in ministry without going culturally crazy? And then I was like, yeah. wait a minute, he makes that very obvious. I don't actually need yeah. to ask him that you just follow the thread of what he did for like 40 straight years. And you're like, Oh, that's how, um, yeah, I think it would have to be, it, it it would have to be something more about private character. Uh, Mm -hmm. so not dissimilar from what Ronnie was asking, but more just, I am, I admire more and more people who are faithful and joyful for decades in ministry. Yeah, Uh, because it's really hard to be both of those. There's a lot of faithful Mm -hmm. people and they're not any fun to be around. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like at the end, Keller seemed to have as much or more kind of personality, comfortable in his own skin. While he wasn't public about his family, he was not private about, you know, admiring and and honoring and loving his wife, especially he didn't. He never dragged his kids into the spotlight, but like one of his sons is it is it pastors one of the redeemer uh campuses so yeah. clearly there's there, that doesn't happen without some good relationships yeah. um so yeah i think it would ha- just have to be sort of what were the things that you did on a habitual basis to yeah. maintain joy in the lord and you know and then obviously the tendrils of that in family and ministry because yeah. he finished so well like as well yes. as anybody i'm aware of at yeah. least in public ministry and it's so admirable.
0: Oh man. Yeah, well said. And yeah, the finishing well piece is probably you know what what I would lean into like how do you grow old <laughs> gracefully, you know, but but stay sharp and stay vibrant and relevant and joyful. Um he just seemed to manage that stuff so well. And he he had this interesting quality where you know when keller was in the room you knew he was smart so you knew that he was like this top shelf intellectual but he also seemed really regular and that that's important to me um, there didn't seem to be a lot of putting on of airs
1: and uh, gosh that's that's just rare well, among to, smart people you know to that point one of the like, i i only crossed paths with them a couple times personally but one of the interactions, and he he would have no reason; he wouldn't have remembered this. It was it was at breakfast at a Gospel Coalition conference, maybe in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And you know, I used to I I always tried to make it a point to to grab a meal with my dad or my parents if they were both there, yeah. because it was you know those were opportunities. And my dad's like, "Well, why don't we get breakfast?" And they have sort of a a kind of a green room breakfast area for the speakers. Yeah, uh, just kind of a, a lounge area. So I I go in there. And, you know, D.A. Carson's at a a table over in the corner uh, Mm -hmm. reading and and eating his breakfast. And the Kellers are at the table right next to us. My parents introduce us. It's like a 30-second interaction, very pleasant. And I sit down. And while I'm sitting there with my parents, I realize that I'm hearing a voice that I'm really, really familiar with talking.
2: And I (laughs) realize
1: that Tim Keller talking to Kathy Keller is exactly the same as Tim Keller preaching.
0: That's awesome
1: and and not because he preaches at his wife but because he just has this very mellow conversational tone and and oh we we got the contractor on and uh and so it when he preaches it just it doesn't sound like he's he's being pompous or like he's being mm-hmm. the smartest guy yeah. in the room but rather just conversing and it's part of the reason why he i think could be so winsome to people who instinctively would have been opposed to his preaching or been in a place of hardship because he's just so mellow and chill. And it's like talking to his wife when he's talking about the sovereignty of God and suffering or whatever. And it just, it made me laugh in that moment, but it also kind of gives a clue to the effectiveness of his ministry, I think.
2: Yeah, I know. It's funny you say that too. And to kind of go off on that one point for a minute, Pipe, I was always, he was a guy that kind of made me realize, you know, years ago that. Oh, public speakers do this. Preachers do this, but you know, pre- I call it preacher voice. So, like, you know, not ha- having, you know, not having that ability to just like preach the way we're talking to each other right now, but always having to put on a little bit more of that that tone and that you know, the, you know, you have the authority and you're you're you know, volume wise, you're coming up. And I always thought well, what I love about Keller is that he doesn't do that. But I I don't know that I hear many people who who don't do that or who intentionally uh, don't do that. I remember um, I remember Zach S is a guy that said, yeah, you know, I preached for years with preacher voice. And then one time, you know, after the Lord had, you know, i had been through all this stuff in my life and that was one of the big changes that he made was that he said, I'm not going, I'm not going to do that. And so he said he's had to really work at intentionally not doing that, you know, and just being just conversational, um, being, you know, just having that sort sort of that, that that tone that's more dialogue than it is, you know, luxury, which is just yeah. so hard to do, as you well know, because you just you just kind of go into a mode, you know. Yeah. And I think like Keller did not go into a mode. And, you know, when you hear him preach, it's fascinating because he's the guy stuttering all over the place. He's saying, um, every other word, you know, he's not like a guy that you would say, hey, speak. This is public speaking one you, one. You would you wouldn't do that with him. And yet he's this great speaker, but yet he's still breaking all the rules in terms of what, what you might learn in a preaching class.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think and to get to get a little Pastor Nerdy for a second, which, you know, we're talking about Tim Keller, so I feel like Pastor Nerdy is on brand. Um, his, his sermon preparation is different. So, you know, I, I'm sure I do the preacher voice thing, but that's because I have a full manuscript. And so I'm kind of... I'm working from a fully formed document. He didn't do that. He had one, he would preach from one page with all sorts of notes and underlining and just sort of reminding him what he wanted to do with this stuff. And so his sermons were coming from inside his, just his mind and his heart rather than off a page. Now, granted that what's on the page comes out of mind and heart. So I'm not saying that the manuscript thing is bad, just a very different style of preparation. And that's where he, yeah, he could just sort of, uh, blah, 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 you know, like a, uh, like a, uh, like a, uh, like a, uh, like, uh, you know, Bertrand Russell said uh-huh. this, and and then he has this, you know, facility for quotation that's insane. But yeah, he's uh, collecting his thoughts while he's speaking, you know, yeah, and, that, and, and not yeah. so he's not crisply hitting every note, which is part of the reason why he could preach so conversationally. I think because because yeah. he's not. He's not trying to give life to a document. He's trying to just share what, what is sort of pouring out of him in the same way you would across a table at breakfast. Maybe. Yeah.
2: I love like how you said that he wasn't trying to give life to a document. That's so true. So he was, yeah, I always, you know, cause I, I, I tend to, I don't have like a hard, I have a, I have what I have sort of a semi manuscript, you know, it's kind of how I do it. But so I am gathering thoughts in, in the moment. Um, I'm certainly no Tim Keller, but it's, um, but yeah, when you when you do when you do what he did the way he did it, it was like, "Hey, come into my head for thirty minutes, and we're going to figure this thing out." I'm going to get everything across that I need to get across. But it's it, you know, it's not going to be the most linear, you know? mm-hmm. and that's okay. But like it's you're just kind of you're you're kind of diving into my head with me here for thirty minutes. I, I I like that. It was really it was really different, especially given if you want to talk about our tribe, quote unquote you know, where everything is so mapped out and everything has to be so precise. And he was a guy where you always understood him incredible with incredible clarity, but it was, I don't know that you could say it was, I mean, he would get to precision. He would get to clarity. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you would describe it as precise, right? Maybe that's not the right way to put it.
0: I I like that you, I like that you said 30 minutes a couple of times. Like he's in the, he's in the don't have to go long hall of fame for me. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that his sermons were 30 minutes and, you know, this in the era where every reform guy was going 50 minutes, bare minimum. You know, he didn't have to remake the same point 14 times. Um, And I think that's a I don't know. I think it's a product of confidence, like the right kind of confidence where you don't feel like you have to say the same thing 14 times or, or make a 30-minute thing into a
1: 55-minute thing. I, I and just, and product, you know. product of knowing his people. You know, he knows yeah. that he's, yes, he has people in the room who are highly theologically attuned or trained, but mm-hmm. a ton of his people are basically biblically illiterate. And so what he needs to hit is the high points of the storyline of the Bible or the high points of these key kind of theological realities from this text. Like if you watch how he preaches uh, like the book of Mark, which I think they turned into a book called – it was called The King's Cross. I think they might have changed the name of it. But um, it's it's more thematic where he just sort of hits – like this is the point of Mark, not – Let's walk through it expositionally, which again is a very useful way to go through it, but not in his context. And so he, yes. he, he created a, I don't know if he created, he, cause he, he was kind of John Stott-esque in that way, but he, um, he popularized a way of preaching that, that really effectively counterbalanced the like, like what, you know, what my dad does, which is spend nine years on the book of Romans. <laughs> Kelly would yeah. have preached Romans in two months. Well, you know, you know. I, it's
2: so funny you say that because I remember—I I don't know when I saw this. It was years ago, but I, I don't—I'll never forget it because I kind of do this a little bit. But there was uh, there was like a, a panel exchange between your pops and TK, and your pops was kind of bemoaning new preachers who basically read the text and then jump off the text and just start riffing, telling stories. And they sort of loosely reference the text instead of be, being immersed in the text, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, he, you
2: know, he's not wrong, right? I don't know. And so he's, he's talking about all this stuff. And then it's so funny, it pivots over to Keller. And Keller kind of paused and he goes, just kind of what I do, though. That's what people <laughs> accuse me of my whole life, is I just sort of jump off the text and just start talking. And, you know, I think there's uh-huh. a way to do that. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't defensive about it, But he's, but he looked at John and he just goes, yeah, but that's what I do too. So, you know, here we that's are.
0: It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think we can confidently say they're both right. And they were both great at what they did and
2: different angles. Just coming yeah. at things from different angles. Yeah. yeah. Like and, I'm
1: truly grateful for both approaches and both guys, and but both they were of them very have, different. And both of them have spawned really bad imitators. Like mm. yeah. <laughs> if my if my what well, my dad would be bemoaning there is people who suck at doing what Tim Keller did excellently, you know? So Keller could jump off of a text and say a bunch of other things because in his mind, he's weaving together whole Mm -hmm. like commentaries and biblical theology and he's distilling it. Mm -hmm. And what other people are doing is losing the thread altogether. (laughs) You know, whereas then there's guys who try to preach like my dad and they spend nine years in Romans and, and they should have spent maybe nine months, maybe nine weeks. And uh, they're, they're really bad at, at, kind of careful exposition so both of them have have bred uh some some yeah some poor imitators yeah no question both it's an interesting
0: commentary on talent you know Mm -hmm. like i i I just think those guys were like 99th percentile talents you know yeah and yeah the imitators we we can't do it because we don't have the horsepower you know um And that's, that's okay. We can just enjoy the talent for what it was. Um,
1: And 99th percentile workers as well. Like one of the things, so Mm -hmm. I read that, I read that uh, Colin Hansen book as well. And it wasn't what I expected. I expected a little bit more sort of traditional biography and it, and it was much more about kind of the, the influences that shaped Tim Keller. But one of the biggest takeaways I got out of it was, oh, that man both has an intellect that I will never match. Yeah. And the capacity for work that most people can't yeah. match, yeah, you know, and just in really terms different. of the, the, the willing, the breadth of reading, the depth of reading, the ability to absorb. And, you know, my, my dad is a very different kind of worker, but similar in terms of just you, you nobody works harder than he does, at least yeah. in his, you know, in the, in the peak of his ministry, you know, he's slowing down a little bit in his mid to late seventies, but yeah. those guys were so profoundly diligent yeah
2: especially in that in that particular area i mean it's like i think you know again not not to not to get too weedy or nerdy here but um it was like it was like new preachers that spend way too long sermon prepping and and eventually they spend less time it's like those are two guys that never eventually spent less time they just were it's kind of what they
1: did in some ways mm.
2: i'm know? pretty sure
1: keller could write a sermon in like 12 minutes because he had been writing that same sermon for 30 years you know what i no, mean No, i mean that's a
2: good that's a good point but you know what i mean like these guys were still very studious
1: yes and um i
2: think they were studious in a way that th- both of those guys went into the pulpit knowing it knowing just almost like knowing exactly what they were going to say in some ways you know and yeah. um you know when you you know, I mean, with the way some of us have come up in seminary and with manuscripts, you don't, I mean, you don't have to know the, ma- you know, you don't have to know the material as well, right? And you got, yeah. you got other things to do. You're spending more time. This is what I would say. we we, they came from an era where like most important thing is, was, you know, what they were doing, what they were doing in the pulpit. We've probably come up in an era where it's like, well, that's part of it, but you got to consider these other things and devote time to these other things. And so mm-hmm. it seems like they were way more focused on preaching is everything. I'm I'm, devo- I'm devoting my life to preaching. We devote our mm-hmm. lives to other things as well as the preaching. Yeah, and I, so I think the, I think
1: they may have been on to something. They may have been on to yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Boys, we're we're definitely on to something. We should we should get on to being off the program. Um <laughs> but, but that was that was forty one minutes of good radio. Uh fun to talk about Timmy K. It's just fun to like talk about somebody you like. Um We should do that more often, I I suppose. Um, But I enjoyed it. It was easy. It was fun. Appreciate you guys doing it. Uh, Appreciate you guys listening, listeners. Um, You know what to do. Five star us. Um, Look forward with great anticipation to our live show, which we'll be dropping details about next week. Um, Links to tickets, etc. It's going to be in September. Going to be in Indianapolis. Going to be in conjunction with some other conference, Uh, but it will be a great time because it always is. Boys, we've done what we always do on the program. And until next time,
1: we want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. And oftentimes, you know, you're chasing happiness, but you don't know that God is the best
2: way to achieve the happiness you're looking for. And so I was trying to end my suffering by sinning, but I only ended up sinning my way into more suffering. That was Grammy winner Lecrae
0: unpacking his testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.